Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Heart of the City, a weekly conversation exploring the contours of the arts, commerce, culture, and faith. Every episode, we will take you to the heart of Memphis. The Heart of the City is brought to you by a partnership between Lux Creative and Lindenwood Christian Church. Hello, Memphis. Jeff Mitchell here again on this episode of The Heart of the City. We appreciate you taking the time to download our podcast. You can always find us on your podcasting app of choice. Download us, subscribe, give us a rating and review, and share with your friends the great stories that you are hearing on this podcast. We are delighted today to welcome Todd Richardson, the president of the Crosstown Redevelopment Cooperation, uh, uh, Corporation. Todd, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Gladly. Thanks for the invitation. Your name was highly recommended to us by uh, president of Memphis Theological Seminary, Jody Hill. And after he mentioned it, we had about five other people mention to us that we we should have Todd on. So thank you so much for taking the time to share with us. Absolutely. Thanks for doing what you guys do. We're, We're glad to be able to do it and glad to be able to talk with good people like you. We're going to talk a lot about the, the dream of the redevelopment of the Crosstown Concourse and all that went into that and all that we see moving forward into the future, but let's go back way before that. You're a Mississippi boy. I am. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up. I grew up in Tupelo, Mississippi, um, current day suburb of Memphis. No, uh, it's about 90 miles uh, southeast of here. Um, and uh, it's about 35,000 uh, residents in the city, but it's grown a lot. It's, a, it's an interesting place where, you know, in, in, the, in the city limits, there's 35,000 people. The working population is 100,000 people, and they have a coliseum there that holds about eight or 9,000 people. So, and it oh, was wow. built uh, just, I think, when I was in college. So it's funny to have a coliseum in a town that holds a third of your population. <laughs> <laughs> But it was a great, great place to grow up. Um, my uh, my dad was uh, for thirty over thirty five years a chaplain at the North Mississippi Medical Center, and the largest hospital in Mississippi. It was at the time the largest rural hospital in the country. So uh, healthcare was a big deal um, in in Tupelo. My mom also worked in the healthcare uh, industry, so um, public school, and uh, so yeah. So you make your way to Ole Miss. Yes. So obviously we got a pull for Lane Kiffin and the Rebels. Is that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh. It's funny. I'll give a shout out to to um, to Jody. Uh, he and I played football together at Ole Miss. Oh, okay. So, I did well, not know he that. He played football at Ole Miss. I practiced. You were on the team. Uh, yes. I was, uh, I was on the team, uh, kicker and punter. Uh, he was linebacker. Um, so he was he was uh, um, a lot more impactful uh, than I was. <laughs> You know, everybody mocks kickers until they need a 47-yard right. field no, goal right. into that's the right. win yep. <laughs> or need a punt that bounces at the seven and dies at the four, you know. Yep. <laughs> well, you've, you've been on quite an educational journey. You have a, a bachelor's degree from Ole Miss. You have a master's of arts from Memphis Theological, master's of arts um, from uh, the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley, California. That's quite a shift from Tupelo to Berkeley. Is that, does that sound accurate? Yeah, my wife and I always say Berkeley was the first foreign country we moved to. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I have a friend of mine that said I've spent my whole life in California except for the four years I went to Cal. <laughs> Uh, that's great. That's <laughs> that great. was pretty good. I thought that was pretty good. And then, and then at Capstone with with a PhD in art, art history in the Netherlands. That's so did correct. you travel abroad to to get your uh, PhD? 
Yeah. Um, so when I finished, it was a, as you said, a meandering journey. I was a philosophy and psychology major at Ole Miss uh, with my dad saying, what do you want to be, doubly unemployed? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so then came to Memphis, and I was a youth director at Idlewild Presbyterian Church. Oh, okay. For um, I was there for five years, uh, three at the church and then um, two at kind of the district level. And then I um, decided I would know, try seminary out and among many other things uh, during that time. And during seminary, um, I was writing my thesis on Rembrandt and the Reformation. And I thought, you know what, I should probably take an art history class. So I was 26. I minored in studio art. So art was a part of my life, um, but I'd never taken an art history class. And when I was 26, I took a class. And it turns out if you combine philosophy and art and uh, religion get renaissance art history and um, so as a youth minister I, I love teaching and I fell in love with art history and um, so I researched graduate programs because after my thesis I knew exactly what I wanted to do um, in terms of I was really interested in 16th century visual culture and so there was a professor uh, at, at GTU, he had a joint appointment with GTU and Berkeley at Cal. And so um, if he was at Iowa State, I would have gone to Iowa State. It, okay. did, it didn't matter uh, going to Berkeley. He just happened to be there. And so I applied and I said, I wrote him a letter and I said, I, I've got one art history class. Here's all the other stuff um, that I've done. And here's what I want to write my dissertation on. And so he wrote me back and he said, um, well, this all sounds really interesting, but I'm going to need you to come to Berkeley so I know you're real. <laughs> <laughs> and so my wife and I went out and I interviewed, and long story short, we moved, um, we moved to Berkeley in, let's see, 2000, and then we were there for three years, and I finished all of my coursework and qualifying exams, and so he is a Dutch guy. He's from the Netherlands, and, um, and so in 2003, he got the opportunity to become chair of uh, the art history department at Leiden University. And Leiden is, um, is the oldest university in the Netherlands, started in 1575. Wow. And so it was a, a really, it's, it's kind of the Harvard of, of, of the Netherlands. And so he left and asked if I would come with him. So I withdrew and then went, moved to the Netherlands with, with, um, uh, with him and that program. So ended up, we were there for five years, and uh, our, our oldest daughter was born there and ended up finishing my Ph.D. in 2007. My goodness, that is yeah. quite a journey. Very much so. And then um, the crazy thing is that in, in 2007, I went on the job market. And uh, there were that year 12 jobs in the entire country and what I am a specialist in in Renaissance art history, and that was a great year. Um, and uh, I remember in November of 2007 sitting in my office, and I like I, I, I thought I'm, I'm going to check the the website one more time. There was a website you would go to that they would list all the jobs um, at the different colleges and universities across the U.S. And uh, a new job had popped up, and I about fell out of my chair because it was the University of Memphis. The, the the woman from whom I took my first art history class. When I was 26, now eight years later, was retiring the same year that I was finishing my PhD. So I came back to interview for her job. Wow, <laughs> got the job, got the job. Thank thank goodness, and then um, and moved to Memphis from um, from Leiden in August of 2008. So from what I can gather, you have faculty appointment at U of M, 
one of the few, you know, you said there's 12 jobs and that was a lot. This yeah. is not a hot market. That's right. Yeah, this is not hot. I thought you were going to say when you combine these three uh, topics, you get unemployment. Yeah, yeah That's right. what I thought you were yes, going to say. Yes, that, that either could be true. Either could be true. Especially yes. in a recession. Yes, it, that's right. There were a few things going on yeah, in 07, yeah. 08. I, all yeah. my friends were either postdocs or one-year appointments, and so I thought I'd won the lottery to be able to come to Memphis at, at a tenure-track position. Yeah. For sure. And then you made a big change. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I thought I won the lottery. I remember that first year we, we bought a house uh, basically across the street from the university. Uh, my, um, my, my daughter went to school on campus. I walked to school. We had one car. I mean, it's like we had transferred our Dutch life right here to Memphis, which is really um, – Un, uh, unexpected, given that the Netherlands is the third most densely populated country in the world, so mm-hmm. everything's just kind of there on top of each other, and that's not the case in Memphis, but to be able to do that here was wonderful. So yeah, it was great. And um, then, so in the summer of 2009, I actually knew um, the, the Crosstown building owner um, from our previous chapter in Memphis when I was at Idlewild. Wife then went to Idlewild, and we got to be fast friends. And so when I came back, um, uh, we started talking again, and uh, one thing led to another, and we started talking about the Crosstown building. Go back as far as you you can. Surely you know the history of Crosstown Concourse mm-hmm. before you decided to take a big leap there. Right. I, I have heard about this for you know in, since I moved here, and older members of my church talk about. It. I remember going there when it was the. What is the history of this facility long before the the massive redevelopment began? So the history is really interesting. So um, the, the the original building where the tower is um, that was constructed in 1927. And it was the sixth distribution center that Sears built at the time. So there are 10 of these buildings across the country. Uh, Well, there were 10. Um, A few have been demolished because when they went empty, people just didn't know what to do with them. Um, And so over the from 1927 to 1965, um, those were the boom years of Sears. Um, You know, Amazon before Amazon, basically. Yeah. They, They got so massively huge, didn't have any competition. And so that building was um, a, a retail store. It was, one, it was actually one of the largest retail stores in the country uh, through the early 70s, really. Uh, it was the southeastern regional offices of, uh, of Sears Roebuck, and then it was their um, distribution center uh, for their mail order um, business. And so there were 1,500 people that worked there. They handled 45,000 orders a day, which, you know, back then it was ring, ring. You know, you're calling an order in or you're mailing an order in. So to handle 45,000 orders, that's a big deal. And then, um, yeah, so y'all probably, most of the time I tell this story, I'm talking to younger people. And so I'm like, imagine if Amazon printed a catalog. Yeah. You know, I'm um, old enough to remember yes, circling yes, what I wanted in the catalog That's for right. Christmas. And yes. So you would get it, what, end of November and uh, get the wish book and, and circle what you wanted, dog ear the page. And yes. you just handed the catalog to your parents, and that was your Christmas list. And so if you lived in Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, Louisiana, or Arkansas, um, this was your North Pole. It's where where all your gifts uh, came wow. from. Wow. Yeah. And so um, everything was going great during that time. Um, Memphis also grew uh, because of our western boundary of the river. We grew one direction, east. And so in late 60s, um, Sears decided they would, you know, they would take advantage of that 
purchasing power migrating east. And so they decided they would build out in the middle of nowhere and they would build and they would be, um, you know, really forward thinking. And they built a store at the corner of Poplar and Perkins. <laughs> and I have, uh, I have pictures of the construction and I mean, it is nothing but fields uh out well, there our church lindenwood relocated from south edge of downtown to where we are at union and east parkway in the 50s uh-huh. and the members hated it because they said no one will ever live east of east parkway that's the city <laughs> limits no that's one right. will ever live out there that's right yeah that's right so um yeah and so then in the 80s you know we all know the story uh walmart uh Service merchandise, and then later Circuit City, and Best all sorts Buy. of yeah. Best Buy. Yeah, they all started popping up. They had competition. Um, people started shopping at the at the East Memphis store and stopped shopping in Crosstown. Uh, and so, in 1983, the store um, at Sears Crosstown turned into a kind of outlet store. And then in 1993, they uh, Sears had. You know, back back in the twenties when they built, you wouldn't necessarily not necessarily you would never see today a warehouse built with ten floors. Yeah, right? it would just sprawl out, you know, and be one floor. Uh, and so they had actually built and still have uh, a warehouse in North Memphis that's like that. And so they and between nineteen ninety 1990 and nineteen ninety seven, they closed all ten of the distribution centers because they just moved to a different. Um, really more efficient way of, of, of shipping and receiving. And so in uh, 1993, the building shut down. And, um, you know, you, you, take, you put 1,500 people and a, and, and a magnet that was the, the retail store there. It has, a, it has a huge positive impact on the neighborhood. You take all that away, it has an equally negative impact. And so, um, yeah, between 1993 and over the next 10 years, just all those buildings became vacant and the Crosstown neighborhood, you know, people that used to be a used synonymous with Midtown. Mm. Um, and, you know, by the time we got started in 2010, if you asked a thousand Memphians, you know, under the age of, of 45, um, where's Crosstown? They wouldn't have, you know, they wouldn't know what you were talking about. Maybe they would say, do you mean Sears Crosstown building? But they wouldn't know about a neighborhood. Okay. And so it just became so disinvested, uh, it kind of fell off the mental map of most Memphians. And then that began to change. Tell us about the, the original dream for the redevelopment of the Crosstown Concourse, how you got involved. And uh, I know you just didn't have one meeting, make a few plans, take out a loan, and it all happened. <laughs> <laughs> I wish that it would I have happened I bet you wish way. it would have happened that way. <laughs> Although I'd be a different person today had it, uh, had it happened that way. I, that's what sure. we say when we go through fire. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's right. Uh, you know, really, the the the, the initial um, not credit, but yeah, credit um, and idea goes to the, the person who owned the building. Um, he bought it in two thousand seven. Um, I mean, it's in the paper, uh, a million and a half square feet for $3 million, Yeah, <laughs> which is crazy. Um, and he was going to, it was a purely civic um, endeavor. Uh, he not, does not want to be in real estate development. Um, he's in more of the finance world. And so he was going to donate it to a local college, and it was going to become their urban campus. Um, that didn't happen for a lot of different reasons. Um, and so he, he began to think more in terms of arts and, and music. He's been involved in a lot in Memphis when it comes to music, and that's his passion. And 
Um, and so he began to think about um, doing something related to arts and music, uh, really about the future. Um, not his words, mine, but I think you know Memphis has a lot of great, um, a lot of great institutions and museums related to the past, uh, and and that's awesome. You know, stacks and um, you name it, um, Graceland, etc. Crosstown attempts to be. Um, about the future mm. and about contemporary music, contemporary um, contemporary art, art being made today by artists that are still alive, um, and so uh, that was that was his initial you know thought idea, um, and he was involved with um, with the Stacks Music Academy and things getting um, going down there supports education uh, immensely in the city, so um, education, arts, music uh, around there, and so when we started talking. Um, I just couldn't believe what I was hearing. I just, I just thought that um, a building of that size, you know, would never be taken seriously if used in the same sentence with arts and music. Um, and so when we were talking, and it, it became clear that hey, kind of anything is possible here. And then the conversation to turn to, well, wouldn't it be cool if? Um, wouldn't it be cool if we did this or did that? And I immediately just went into research mode because that's what I'm trained to do um, and began to look at projects across the country, across the globe, where large-scale industrial complexes have been you know, recaptured, where arts and culture was the spark that started the conversation. And fortunately at the time, I don't think it even exists anymore, there was a, an, an institute at Williams College called the Center for Creative Community Development. And they applied a science to um, doing analysis on cultural magnets, what they called, and um, really saying, okay, what's the, what's the quantitative impact of these things from um, everything from employment to um, income to uh, quality of life, you know, um, property values, you know, et cetera. And these case studies, you know, they're probably 25 case studies, are really compelling, one of which was on um, uh, what really became an inspiration for us, uh, Mass MoCA, Massachusetts Museum of Contemporary Art, is in North Adams, Massachusetts. And it's a 750,000 former spark plug plant wow. that is now a massive contemporary art center um, where there's all sorts of wonderful things going on and really turned around a mill town in the middle of nowhere in Massachusetts, uh, and it's just a beautiful, um, beautiful facility. But not just visual arts. Uh, if you know Wilco, they have their Solid Sound Festival there every every other summer. And so um, we began to look at these projects, uh, Distillery District in Toronto and a few others in Germany, and said, "Okay, well, let's um, let's do a feasibility study here." And see what we can do. And that started the. I was teaching full time and doing this on the side. And um, after a year, uh, the feasibility study came back, and I say came back. We, we finished, and you know we had to we had to check a lot of things to see make sure there's no gotchas, um, non-starters for whether it be environmental or structural. Um, and so after doing that, you know there really weren't any non-starters. And price per square foot, it's no more expensive to renovate this building than any other 1920s building downtown. It's just there's so many darn square feet. You know, where do you, where do you start? And so it was really during the feasibility study. We didn't have the words vertical urban village, but it was, it was, it was more beyond mixed use, beyond just co-locating. Uh, and that's kind of where we started. That's a long answer. 
No, that is a good answer. <laughs> so you did get started. It seems as if the feasibility study came back and you're like, we're going we're gonna to take a swing at this. Mm-hmm. You said you, you, you would not be who you were if you hadn't gone through all the, the headaches of, of development, I'm sure heartaches and probably mm-hmm. some sleepless nights and thinking that maybe it was off. Take us from when you say, let's go for this, to when we open. Mm. Um, well, number one, surrounding myself with, all, I mean, I'm an art history professor, so clearly this is not going to happen. You know, it's the middle of the recession still. It's 2010. And so the first thing I did was, um, was surround myself with people who were, you know, um, smarter than me and, and had the experience necessary. So Chris Miner was the first person we brought on board. He is now director of Crosstown Arts. Um, at the time, we were co-directors. We created Crosstown Arts um, to further cultivate arts and music in Memphis, but also to be the, the entity behind the, um, the development as a whole. And he's one of those guys that just pisses you off. Yeah. I mean, he's a musician with five albums. He's, you know, published in the best short stories of the South. He, um, what else? He's a visual artist. Uh, that's the first thing. He's got gallery representation in New York. Um, he did his MFA at Yale, and he was our accountant for the first two years of our organization. So it's like, <laughs> but other than that. <laughs> so um, he was the first person, and then uh, McLean Wilson uh, was uh, my, the co-leader with me on on the development. He's an actual developer um, and uh, has a long lineage of that with his dad, uh, grandfather, Kimmons Wilson, and um, then their whole organization. And he had done development in North Carolina and other, other locations and had moved back to Memphis the same time I did. And so we were introduced by mutual friends, and uh, he came on board uh, early as well. So between McLean and, and, and Chris and and the building owner, um, we then brought on a developer, an architect, um, somebody in marketing communications, and that kind of formed uh, our feasibility study team. And then after that, it was um, in, in 2011, 2012, the only way to get credibility is, is we essentially had to pre-lease. And so we um, began to recruit uh, folks to become part of what we began to call a Vertical Village. We had Crosstown Arts and the vision, the business plan for the Contemporary Arts Center that exists there today in about 45,000 square feet. Uh, Memphis Teacher Residency was the next, um, the next organization. Um, part of Crosstown Arts is an artist residency, and so we thought it would be wonderful to have artists and teachers in residence living and working and training you know, next to each other. And so MTR came on board to move their, um, their classrooms, training facilities, offices, and then the idea would be that their uh, residents, they bring in about seven, 60 to 70 a year, would live in the apartments. Um, and, and so, yeah, part of the feasibility study, we knew that this was not going to be an, uh, an art colony. You know, we knew that it was going to take a, a, a bigger vision of residential, of office, of retail, uh, et cetera. And then in July of 2011, I had my first conversation with Scott Morris, uh, yes. the, the founder and CEO of Church Health. And so I'd never met Scott before. And I actually was going to meet with him. Um, you know, their, their mission is providing quality health care to the working uninsured, and which defines um, about 90% of artists and musicians <laughs> as contractors, as, you know, part-time, et cetera. And so I was actually going telling him about the artist in residence, telling him about the teachers in residence, and wouldn't he want to have a satellite office, just about 3,000 square feet at Crosstown, um, 
and bring those services to the creative community. And so he, he listened to me about the vision. He wanted to know all about the vision. And by that point, it was Vertical Village, anchored in arts and, and education. And uh, he, said, he said, well, I could do one of two things. I could do what you're asking me to do. Or we could consolidate all of church health that is currently in 11 different buildings into Crosstown Crosstown. And to the, it was Sears Crosstown at the time. And I was like, huh, wonder which one I'm going to choose. <laughs> and I said, I'll take the latter, please. And he said, "He said, I mean, I would need 150,000 square feet. Do you have it? And I was like, we got you covered. You got it covered. <laughs> got you covered. And so that really was, was the turning point. You asked about push and go. There was really, there's really never a, a moment where we were like, this is going to happen until we actually closed financing in December of 2014. But in 2011, uh, it was a that was a corner turned there. So we spent the next six months and um, LRK um, Tony Policiati, um, they did a test fit for all of the things that, that that Church Health does, just to make sure that they could do them within the the built environment, if you will, of um, the Sears Crosstown at the time, the columns, et cetera. And so, um, and so once Scott came on board, boy, um, he was such a wonderful third-party advocate in helping us recruit Methodist Healthcare, uh, St. Jude, where we have families living in the apartments, but also Alzac St. Jude with Rick Shadyac coming on board, and they have 55,000 square feet for their um, contact center um, and other healthcare. So it became Vertical Urban Village, anchored in arts, education, and healthcare, and that was asked about the corner. That was the corner that was turned. And so by the time we had eight founding partners, including uh, CBU and, and um, Crosstown High, that's a whole other story. Um, but by the time we were done, we had uh, letters of intent for over half of the office space being committed to. And that's when uh, the city started taking us seriously uh, with their funding, the county. Um, that's when banks started taking us seriously. And then we also used historic tax, tax credits and new markets tax credits and all of those entities. It's like, okay, like this is not just a pipe dream. You, you can actually cover debt service with the tenants you already have. Yeah. So you finally launch, you get, you, I believe it was 2017. Is that correct? Right. So when we, you went, opened. we went through, it was the recruiting, then two years of design. Yeah. And then we started construction in summer of 2014 and it was, two, uh, sorry, it was demolition in summer 2014, construction in January 15. That was a two-year uh, construction period. I believe, I believe you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then August of 2017, which is interesting because it was August of 1927 when the building, original building opened. So it was 90 years later wow. that uh, Concourse opened. My goodness. So I would say, as someone that's only lived in Memphis a little over three years, it is a success. Oh, thank you I so much. I will just tell you that it's my favorite place to go to hang out with people. It's also my favorite place to go to be alone. Mm. Like I, I, this is gonna. I bet you did not dream of this usage. I will go put podcasts on my phone and in my earbuds and walk nine. You know the steps up. Yep. Walk, walk a step, walk the circle, and then go up the. And so it's just a way to like. I don't want to go run twelve miles, uh-huh. but I want to keep moving. I want just a little bit of of going up up the stairs, and at the same time, I'm consuming information that I love. Because I found myself driving to listen to podcasts. I'm like, this is stupid. And so I, I will go to, I'd, I'd go and I'd reward myself with a beer. Ah, uh, nice. <laughs> oh, that makes me so happy. 
Uh, what a wonderful way to experience Crosstown. It is a wonderful way to experience, and it's a great place to people watch. It is. It absolutely. Is. It is all a the, great place. All the photo shoots that are happening in all the different locations. Yeah. How did, how did you all survive the pandemic? Oh, you know, uh, we took the punch. Um, the I, we Back when we were kind of curating, um, you know, how much residential, how much office, how much retail – the, um, the idea behind the retail was, let's just put just enough. I mean, think of a old European town square and what would be on that town square. Coffee and ice cream and a bank branch, a pharmacy, um, a hair salon, you know, just those few things. Because we had a bunch of buildings across the street that were empty. So for us, the important thing was to put people back at Crosstown. And so pre-pandemic, there were 3,000 people coming and going every day. And, and so it was really the people that would drive the development, you know, across the street because things would be more activated and people would be interested in coming, you know, returning to the neighborhood. Well, that, that, that was good and all, but it also turned out to be good during the pandemic because we only have about 50,000 square feet of retail. Um, and so, you know, we have 620,000 square feet of office space. Those are long-term leases, you know, of people who are weathering this thing. And they may have worked, worked at home for a long time, but they're now coming back. And then kind of to your point, we've got uh, 265 apartments on four floors. And it turns out that if you got to work from home, Crosstown's a great place to work from home. Yes, it is. Because uh, you can get out and still be inside, but you feel like you're in community. And still around people, there's a grocery store there. You know, you don't have to get out around. So the residential did really well uh, and continues to do well uh, just to be a part of, you know, there's a concerts now and there's gallery shows and there's always something happening. And people just want to be a part of that, thankfully. So uh, we've, we've, we've weathered it. and It's still a struggle. You know, you go from pandemic to, um, to war in Europe to a potential recession and, it's just one thing after another. We're all tired, but um, yes, we are. We're we're still uh, we're still plugging along. I always say, keeping it in the middle, trying not to hit the guardrails. That's right. So, what is your hope for for Crosstown? Not only what goes on inside of uh, you know one point five million square feet, but for your neighborhood, what is the hope mm. that, of what Crosstown can do to to bring life to the city of Memphis? That's a great question. You know, we would always say during development, success is not uh, when we close financing. It's not opening day. Um, Success is really 10 years down the road when we have had the kind of impact that we've wanted to have, you know, in that in in the neighborhood. Um, It's 10 years down the road where our tenants want to renew their leases because they can't imagine being anywhere else um, because it's not just a traditional office space. And the quality of life that your employees have, the, the, the quality of employee that they've been able to recruit because they're across town versus a general office park. And so, you know, for the first time, we've in August, we'll have been open for five years. And really, for the first time, um, personally, I'm able to think outside of the building. As you can imagine, going from development, I'm, I'm actually no longer at the U of M now. I just I, you know, manage and operate along with a huge team uh, across town. But it took us a long time to get all the policies and procedures and work out all the kinks. I mean, there have been many a times I've looked at, looked at my team and said, whose idea was this better together stuff? <laughs> <laughs> this is complicated. Um, and so we're, we're still doing that, but, but you know, we've been around long enough where things are running a lot smoother. And so we're beginning to 
turn our attention more to um, like the mound, for example, um, that's a nine-acre uh, plot of land that is just southeast of the building, and it was where Interstate 40 was going to come through. Um, and it's um, a nine-acre parcel of land that's about 30 feet high because it was going to be the on-ramp. And it's been there for 50 years, and it's time for it not to be there. And it's you know it, it, it cuts the neighborhood in half. Um, when you're standing on the north side of it, you can't see the south side. Um, and so it's time that, uh, that the city um, do something with that dirt, and we make it houses. And, and um, you know, whether it's single-family homes or townhomes or apartments, get people there, densify the neighborhood, more activity, makes it safer, more people to buy the beer and, and yes. the coffee and the restaurants. And so we're really turning our attention more towards those blighted, you know, properties that need some, need some time and attention. Well, if you have not yet, I want to encourage you to go out and, and walk around and spend money at, at Crosstown. <laughs> yes, please. I mean, it is it is a great place. It's on my list of discretionary dollars every month to Wonderful. just go and mingle and be there. And as someone that's new to Memphis, I can attest it, it is amazing. And I, I, I heard about it when I moved here, and then when I saw it with my own eyes, it, it blew away even my high expectations. So for, for what thank you've you. done for the city and your whole team, I know it's not just you. But Absolutely. Thank you so much for what you've done to invest in our city. You are welcome. All right. Well, we are so grateful to have Todd Richardson that was here from Crosstown Concourse. As I said, if you haven't yet, you need to go experience this and and walk through. And now you know what a little bit of the story was about how that came to be. So we appreciate you taking the time to be on this episode of The Heart of the City. Thank you so much and take care.